Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Uh, having a little bit of fun today. It's going to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek uh, because I, I saw this tweet and I wanted to share it with you guys and then talk a little bit about the kind of ridiculousness of paying to interview for jobs. So uh, this is Gabby Browner. She's uh, on Twitter and we've got about the same number of followers, seven or 8,000, something like that. And she got a direct message advising her to delete the tweet that said, hey, we're paying for the chance to interview for a job, hashtag match 2023. And the person said, hey, Gabby, I would consider deleting this tweet. Program's looking for anything to get rid of applicants to consider for positions. Just looking out for you. Thumbs up. And so Gabby respectfully comes back with, hey, I appreciate it, but I'm not going to. If we can't call out the problems with the system, how can we expect it to change? I'm happy to discuss the barriers the cost of applying to medical school and residency place on applicants, especially underrepresented applicants, in any interview I'm lucky enough to get. I don't think that will stop me from getting an interview, and if it does, maybe I don't want to go there. But let's think about this. So to get a retail position where you may, in this environment, get a significant sign-on bonus, a sign-on bonus that may be more than the actual salary of a community position, <laughs> of a residency, um, whether it be in the community or a hospital and so forth. Uh, and my wife and I were offered, were individually offered uh, signing bonuses, uh, and neither of us took them, but uh, that were almost as much as a resident's full-time salary. Um, that's without getting paid. That's just the bonus. And I just feel like, okay, so it's $160 to register for the opportunity, $110 then to get into forecasts, and then $43 to pay for each one. So when I graduated, I went into retail in Phoenix, but that would mean like me going, okay, I'm gonna go look at four stores in Phoenix, but I also wanna check out Tucson. I wanna do another four stores there. So it would cost me $370 to check out Phoenix, and then an additional, right, 180, right, so 80, 40 times two, four, 160, yeah, an extra $172 uh, to also apply to Tucson for four additional retail positions. So it would cost me $544 to apply for those positions, which is crazy. Like at the time where you're just, you know, kind of puttering home to the finish line uh, financially, uh, here's an extra $500 charge uh, for the privilege of working or no privilege of the interview. There are no guarantees at all. And I think that that is just nuts. And, and I appreciate that, that Gabby Browner was uh, uh, brave enough to uh, put that out on, on social. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about some of the, the jobs that are out there right now. And uh, I know that one of the big things that you guys look at is, you know, the academic positions and, and wanting to, to work as a professor. Uh, really excited that one of the students that I worked with is in, uh, in my appy uh, will be teaching at DMAC as an adjunct. Uh, so she'll be teaching undergraduate uh, anatomy. And uh, that's just something she wanted to do uh, to get teaching experience to uh, complement what she has. But I just thought that was just really, really cool. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about what the you know Iowa students that have been working with me uh, have been able to do uh, in a minute in terms of the book or the books, actually. All right. So uh, first job is an assistant associate clinical professorship with Northeastern up in Boston. Uh, now, the big thing that you want to look at is uh, the requirements. So 
uh, PharmD, PGY1, and PGY2, or equivalent experience. And that may mean, um, you know, uh, long-term care, those types of things. But again, not something that's really available to somebody just coming right out of school. Okay. Uh, next job was uh, with, let's see, uh, Northeastern also. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Another, another one at Northeastern, it looks like. Uh, but this one is a clinical teaching professorship faculty position. Uh, this is the Department of Pharmacy and Health System Sciences. And this one requires PharmD and board certification. Uh, immunization training, and either you can have a residency or academic fellowship or four years of experience in education and pharmacy practice. So this is saying that uh, you've probably worked at another uh, college of pharmacy. Okay. Uh, next one is at the University of Mississippi in Oxford. Uh, this one is an assistant professor of pharmacology, so probably PhD. Uh, let's see, so applicants must have a PhD in pharmacology or related field. Uh, so uh, that one not really for the, the PharmD graduates. Uh, let's see, next one was at Larkin in Miami. Um, this one's going to have, you know, that teaching, clinical practice, and experiential education, uh, but the requirements are PharmD with residency or fellowship uh, or equivalent experience and be able, eligible for Florida licensure. Um, so, uh, there's going to be uh, different sites that they're looking for. And then they said different specialties can apply. So this one looks like uh, much more open to someone that's uh, just kind of coming out of school. And then uh, the last one that I saw was at Houston. So University of Houston uh, is hiring a research assistant professor in the prescription drug misuse education and research. Uh, this one is PhD in health services research or closely related and then a uh, professional pharmacy degree of preferred but not required. So I think that it requires a PhD and it would be nice if you're PharmD PhD. So a very significant uh, research type. So uh, unfortunately, these, these are the types of jobs that are not available to somebody who is coming right out of school. Uh, but uh, that being said, the job that I have, which is teaching undergraduates, uh, is available. And you may not realize it, but in general, you're going to have 18 hours, which is what it requires to teach at a uh, two-year school at least, uh, and then sometimes four-year school uh, as an adjunct, which is uh, that if you have 18 hours in the discipline, and generally in your curriculum, you're going to have 18 hours of chemistry or pharmacology, uh, biology, anatomy, physiology. Uh, another professions that um, are, I've also seen you know, in the DMACC world uh, are dentists, podiatrists, uh, rarely physicians, chiropractors, uh, and then I've not seen a physical therapist uh, anytime uh, recently, but uh, those are the types of, um, and of course myself as a pharmacist, uh, but we, we are eligible to teach undergrads. And I know that, you know, because you've just been in pharmacy school, you, you think about teaching pharmacists, uh, but if your, your goal is teaching, uh, there are many other avenues open to you. All right, well, let's talk about the other side of kind of professorship, which is publishing. And, and I get it, you know, when you're talking about being a professor and you're talking about being in an R1 school, they don't really use that term anymore, but a research school or something like that. Uh, they're really talking about peer-reviewed articles. And when you talk about teaching, there's really only, I think, two journals, uh, wait, Currents in Teaching, and then there's the other one um, that's the... 
Okay, so the Journal of, or the Currents in Pharmacy Teaching and Learning, uh, and I don't know if those are openly available uh, as they are for um, the other uh, journal, which is the American Journal um, of Pharmaceutical Education. And so the American Journal of Pharmaceutical Education is the other one that uh, is the education one, if you're, you're talking about that. There's other places where you can publish. But the most interesting article that I thought was this association between NAPLEX preparation program characteristics and first-time pass rates. And it's always a misnomer to, to use association in that way because that says that there is an association, right? And what the researchers found was that NAPLEX prep programs... Okay, here, let's, let's make sure I can properly state what is true. Just because a school has a NAPLEX prep program does not mean that the first time pass rates go up. So let me say that again. I think what is happening is that because students are thinking that, oh, I had a NAPLEX class, that that level of preparation was enough to help increase scores and it was not now this is the thing the numbers that they're using are pretty old so we're talking about 2019 um, and when you look at the pass rates of the authors schools so it's a little bit goofy you've got one two three four five six seven eight nine authors on this and that's not uncommon to have multiple authors, but to have nine authors from nine different schools of pharmacy uh, on this paper. And what they're trying to do is say, okay, well, some of us have really great pass rates. So uh, when we're talking about the very top schools of somebody who's one of the authors, University of Oklahoma, uh, Rutgers, and then, you know, coming in at, I, I just, <laughs> hold on, let's just, this is just so nice to have now. Just going to my pharmacy school rankings for residency, and I can just look up real quick uh, in my, you don't even need a Kindle, just use Kindle Cloud Reader. Uh, but I could look up that Oklahoma is number seven in the country uh, with 96%. Rutgers is number 23 in the country with 91%. And then the only other school that it's in the top half was Nova Southeastern, uh, number 66 with 86%. Uh, everyone else fell under the 84% mark. Now, it's a little bit goofy because the average was an 84, so anything below that is bottom third, but that 84% actually came at pharmacy school number 80 because of all the ties. So when you're talking about bottom half, it's like, well, which is it? You know, which one are you going to use? But I get what's happening is uh, they're going to... Um, they're looking at their schools and they're not happy with the NAPLEX rate. Uh, they've taken on the charge to say, all right, well, let's see what other schools are doing. And they're saying, okay, well, we're just going to see if the other schools have a program. That's a preparation for NAPLEX. And if the answer was yes, you would think that, oh, okay, well, their first time pass rates would go up. Not true. Not true, according to the research. So this begs the question. How do you prepare for the NAPLEX? And what I believe is happening, and this is what I have been recommending all along, 
when you get an RX prep, and I know many of you are like, okay, well, I'm not going to mess with RX prep. I only get four or five months of questions. I'm not going to open it till December or January. But my thought is get yourself an old RX prep if you have to. Get yourself an RX prep. And what you want to do is take three or four chapters that you're going to study for the very next appy. Okay. And then use that appy, okay, to reinforce that. And then use the next four chapters to prepare for the next appy and so forth. And so you get through about half of the book, maybe a little bit more. Okay. And so at the end, you're not trying to learn it. Rather, you're remembering it from the places that you've actually seen patients. And then uh, you're um, kind of picking up some of the things that maybe you had forgotten and things like that. So again, on one hand, that, that's pretty concerning that you know the NAPLEX programs or review programs are not necessarily working. But what I believe is the problem, and it is not the actual program, but that it is not a course, okay? So when you say, oh, we have NAPLEX review, often that means, okay, well, we've given you these videos, uh, we've given you these other things. Some colleges do force you to, to go to class for some number of days or something like that. But what it doesn't do is take advantage of what are the critical, critical teaching things. And uh, these are the kind of things we go over when we are in my uh, rotation, which is you have to have spaced practice. You cannot do this in two or three days. That whole weekend NAPLEX review, that's worthless, man. Uh, you got to do it over days, over time, and it has to be meaningful. You have to share it with someone. So the reason you're studying it before an appy is not because just because, okay, well, yeah, I'll refresh my memory on those things, but it's because you're going to be teaching it to people. You're going to be using it. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's the whole point of that is to say, okay, well, I'm going into PEDS. Let me study some PEDS stuff, some of the other things that I know would be important, uh, and I can do that. So what I would tell those researchers who are looking to get their NAPLEX scores up in uh, their colleges is that what they need are accountability champions. What they need is a formal course where students are showing that you know, before this appy, they do this. And they could do that modularly. That you could make it if I, you know, if I'm at a pharmacy school and I've got, you know, all these students that are, that I want to pass the, the NAPLEX, I could say, okay, well, before you go into your PEDS rotation, here are four modules that we need you to complete uh, as a preparation for it. Okay, you're going into ambulatory care. We don't want you to embarrass yourself. We want you to show well for the school. Here are the ambulatory care chapters that we would like you to review for RX prep. Uh, we want you to get this minimum competency uh, and so forth. And what happens is, is that it's so kind of like, okay, it's Monday. What do you want me to know? And by then it's too late, right? You're like, okay, well, you know what you know. Uh, so I think that the schools, rather than having a okay, we're going to do this efficiently, put it all into a weekend. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to say, before this appy, these are the modules that we want you to complete. And because there are four required appies, you could definitely do those. And then you could do them for some of the ones that are a little different. Uh, in my rotation here at DMAC, we, because I teach chemistry, because I teach pharmacology, uh, we're going to definitely make sure that we go over at least part of the big seven, which are uh, gastrointestinal, musculoskeletal, respiratory, immune, neuropsych, 
uh, cardio and endocrine. Uh, and if you have those as a foundation, you are in good shape. Plus, if you're teaching people, it really sticks a lot better. Okay. All right, well, let's talk about books and uh, some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, the other seven authors with that one uh, fell below the standard, or the other six authors fell below the mark. And, and I can see that's very courageous of them to, to go up there and uh, kind of uh, do the research to see, hey, you know what? What we're doing is not working. Uh, let's do something different. Uh, so anyway, the, the pharmacy school rankings for residency that I just, you know, I, I kept using this data and I was like, okay, well, we need to be able to, to talk on the same page. Uh, and now I can, you know, talk with those people that I'm working to help with letters of intent and CVs and, and interviews uh, by having a common data set and saying, hey, all right, well, this is where your school stands with NAPLEX. Uh, it's likely that you know RPD might have gotten burnt uh, because uh, you know one or two of your your classmates from the years before didn't pass. It'd be a little reticent to, to bring you guys on, so make sure that you're telling them about your your own NAPLEX preparation. All right, well, uh, really nice guy uh, Matt Busalaki, uh, who I believe is still out in wine country working. <laughs> uh, that's kind of amazing, amazing uh, opportunity he got out there. I believe in California, uh, and. Uh, what he wanted to do is he wanted to he was interested in pharmacogenomics uh, the personalized approach to patient care he said i'd like to put a little book out there great uh, i worked with him gave him the the uh, template that we worked on you know during my appy or my appy with him and, and we were able to, to put this together but really it was on him he's the one that really said hey you know i really want to do this and this was april 2020 so i want to say this is pandemic time where uh, it was, you know, some things were, were virtual. We weren't able to see each other. Uh, and uh, he was able to still create a book that lent to his expertise uh, and also, you know, gave people something that they could uh, get to. Uh, what I'm most excited about now is the, the free book that I'm offering you guys. Uh, so the Debt-Free Pharmacy Student. So again, Sydney Day, uh, you heard on the Pharmacy Residency Podcast a couple months back. Uh, she had a Bachelor in Business Administration and Finance. And I said, oh my gosh, you know, you must be really good money and things like that. And uh, it looks like she will be graduating close to debt-free uh, with her degree from the University of Iowa here in May, uh, which is amazing. Uh, that's an amazing thing that after seven years and two college degrees, an undergraduate degree and a doctor of pharmacy, uh, in you know your home state uh, that you're able to graduate with that way and I was like you've got to tell people uh, what you did and so we did kind of a top 10 and so I did my top 10 uh, which relates a little bit more to those that have you know maybe graduated and things like that and and she was very you know intent on those students that are in school now but good news the audiobook is out uh, if you want you could do the zero dollars with the trial uh, but I have some free codes for you uh, so if you want to you can go to, uh, this is the audiobook here, you can listen to uh, the audible, audio, audible sample, and I'll talk a little bit about that, uh, about five minutes of it. Um, but you can go to pharmacyresidencypodcast.com forward slash debt free, that's D-E-B-T-F-R-E-E, -E -E, so it's forward slash debt free. Uh, there are 25 U.S. codes and 25 U.K. codes. Uh, you don't have to be physically in the U.K. to use it. Uh, you can go to audible.co.uk forward slash ACX hyphen promo uh, and put in the code uh, and listen to it. Um, oops, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't change the name on that second one, but uh, it is a debt-free pharmacy student. Uh, and what I wanted to talk a little bit about was that introduction. Um, 
I was reading about debt, and this is the reason I really asked Sydney to, to help me out with this, was when I read about debt and what happens to you physiologically and with anxiety and things like that when you take on a debt, a debt that is above your ability to pay, which is basically anything that you take on coming into college, really, uh, if you're not paying it as you go, uh, causes extreme stress. I mean, with horrific events in people's lives, like it's one of the top five or six most difficult stressors to deal with is being in a position where you cannot pay off your loans. And what I talk about in the introduction is what your brain does with that immediate kind of rush of, oh my gosh, what do I do? Is it moves your brain to the future. And it says, okay, well, you know what? When I graduate, I will be able to pay that off. And the mistake that we believe you know, that, that's made there is that just because your brain is using that as a defense to move it to graduation does not mean you should move your debt payment to graduation. That does not mean you should not start working on it now and start making sure that you're doing some of the things that can reduce that debt. Uh, and we talk about a lot of things that you, you can do. Uh, and I know that uh, both of us went to in-state flagship schools. So we had the benefit of being in state and uh, kind of having that network of family uh, when it came to Appies and having, you know, just being so familiar with, with where we were uh, was really, really kind of a boon. But uh, we do talk about the things that can keep you as a debt-free pharmacy student. And I think everyone thinks, oh my gosh, everybody graduates with all these loans and 16% uh, of graduates graduate debt-free. And I think Sydney is going to be uh, in that 16%. Uh, I didn't, but now I've learned what it takes. Uh, and when you look at the averages, the average for a private school is 200,000 and the average for a public school is 140,000. So if you want to kind of put a measure of how you measured other people, just think about, okay, what am I graduating with? And did I go to private or public? So if you went to public, anything under 140 is good. Anything over 140 is uh, higher than the average. Same with private, anything under 200 is better. Anything over 200 is higher than the average. Uh, but right now, uh, I do have a limited number of codes. Uh, if you want to go to pharmacyresidencypodcast.com uh, forward slash debt free, uh, and you can get those free audible codes. Um, yeah, so uh, enjoy those. And, and if you can, it really does help to, to get, if you can take the time to write a review, uh, those are really helpful for getting other people uh, to know about it. But I know debt's a really, really important subject, and, and I want to make sure that, you know, you guys are, are taken care of in that regard. All right. Um, yeah, that's almost uh, 25 minutes. So if you've got anything for me, TonyThePharmacist at gmail.com. Uh, or if you're looking to work one-on-one -on -one with the letters of intent, uh, you need help with your CV or uh, even the interview presentation, residency.teachable.com. Uh, make sure that you do join the email list. I'm going to be sending out uh, kind of an email course as we go through these last couple of months. Uh, so you just go to pharmacyresidencypodcast.com, come down to the bottom, join the email list. Uh, all I ask is for your first name and your email address. Uh, it just makes it easier for me uh, to send it out to this small group uh, than it is to you know blast it out through uh, social uh, this way. But all right, have a good weekend.